0: This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. Contact them about visiting all of your favorite Disney locations across the globe. Email Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com and tell them we sent you. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins.
1: I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I just went to the post office, and I picked up a lot of cool stuff from our P.O. box, George. Are you jealous? Yeah,
0: I was afraid you were saying I just went to the
1: potty. Oh, no, no, no. No, I started that sentence very similar to some sentences yes. I've started with yes. you before. Okay. But okay. this one had a much better ending to it. Yeah, totally jealous, because, you know... I don't have a post office box. That's true. Well, I mean, it's our collective post office box.
0: Well, we I don't, guess that's
1: true. I, guess I that's mean, true. I'm used to going to the post office box and getting the envelopes from people to send out cadet cards and, and stickers and stuff. So it was a very pleasant surprise when there was not one, but two, but three awesome things in there for us <laughs> to check out. Uh, so... <laughs> Just want to give a special shout out to Carmen and Ashley and John, because those were nice, pleasant little surprises that were hidden inside the P.O. box today. Also, the people at the post office thought it was ridiculous that I had a Caballero's bathroom sign walking out of there with. So that was pretty great, too. Yeah, that that can always be fun. I guess maybe I could visit the post office box during the the D23 event this summer. I can take you to it and we could take a picture of you opening it and like taking the mail out. Ooh, so it was like, a, yeah, I like, okay, we can do that. We could do that. That but could be a whole trip report. It could be a whole trip report. That would oh, be yeah. amazing. Well, we don't give too much away. Yeah, not too much. All right, no so much. we get back into the history segment. Yeah. All right, let's go. It's time for Disney history. On episode 161 of Kumiko Weekly, uh, we began our look at Peter Pan's flight, one of the most popular attractions at any Disney theme park. (laughs) And with wait times often exceeding an hour, it is truly one of the more popular attractions. Now, we last left you while flying over London, second start to the right and straight on to morning, which, of course, brings us to Neverland. Now, the Neverland at Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland was nearly 15 feet long, and it was built on a platform two feet above the floor. And this huge scenic element was softly illuminated in ultraviolet greens and reds and yellows. And famous features of Neverland were in place to be identified by everyone as they leaned from their boats and studied the plaster contours of the island directly beneath them. The Peter Pan track plan uh, encouraged their scrutiny by routing the ships along the left side
0: of the island, then doubling back across its center between the tallest volcanic peaks, then swinging forward again along the island's right-hand coastline. Although the path of the ships offered views of the island to the guests seated on either side, this was an extremely
1: detailed scene and always left you wanting to see more. Now, down in Pirate Cove, Captain Hook's ship, uh, pirate ship, was at anchor, and it was rocking gently from side to side, with the sound of a pirate voices singing a pirate's like for me that were just faintly audible. And then there was dense forests of miniature pine and palm flowered around tall, pointed mountains, which rose nearly as high as the ride vehicles moving past.
0: The, the effect of rippling water was projected behind the cascading waterfalls, and the red heat of molten lava glowed from the mouth of the volcano. At the farthest tip, extending away from the body of the island, was the last feature noticed by passengers in their departing pirate
1: vessels, the campfires and cone-shaped teepees of the Indian village. Now, enfolded within a combination of darkness and clouds and fabric scrim, the guests aboard the vessels turn left, away from Neverland, in the direction of the original Pierpan attraction's exciting final scene, Skull Rock. Now the clusters of moving bats dangled above, and the sounds of seagulls echoed in this dark straight corridor, 28 feet in length. And the track in this section dropped 4 feet to 12 feet 9 inches, as guests find themselves flying directly down toward the grim and rocky visage of the fog-shrouded skull. In the ride's first version, the vehicles appeared to pass through the skull's left
0: eye socket, but after 1960, they sailed past the face of skull rock and into the grotto ahead rocky ledges scattered with human skulls, jutted from the water, and stone stalactites hung from the ceiling. Here in the skull's dank interior was Captain Hook, working his plot against Peter Pan with the help of his bumbling henchman, Smee, and their Indian captive Tiger Lily. Passengers received an increasingly closer look at the characters since the ships were again descending as the track
1: returned to 8'9'' and passed through the grotto. Now, at this time, Captain Hook stood on top of a boulder on, on the left, and his Sword and Hook extended, his teeth clenched in this fury at all the passing people. And his reto- recorded dialogue of, uh, shoot them down, Smee, it, you know, it rang throughout the cavern over the sound of the wind whipping around inside. Now, Smee, he actually teetered in his rowboat and waved the bulging uh, muzzle of the blunderbuss in the direction of each passing ship. And each time he fired, a strobe flash was seen in
0: his gun barrel, and a matching noise was felt beneath the seats of the ride vehicles. And beyond the ride's final turn was the bright green and checkered crocodile. He was positioned on a nearby outcrop of stone, as if waiting for Hook to lose his balance and fall. With his huge bulging eyes and animated tooth-filled jaws, he managed to look both hungry and happy. And the very last thing guests saw as their sailing ships flew back
1: into Fantasyland. While Disneyland's Peter Pan ride continued its uh, fanciful flight into the 1970s, work was being finished on a new Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. So by February of 1971, Bill Martin and Bill Justice had completed drawings of the Florida version of Peter Pan, expanding on the original in a number of ways. And while the overall theme and format of the ride remained consistent with Disneyland's version, um... Peter Pan and the other Florida dock rides—you know—they would feature many of the latest audio animatronic characters uh, and technology.
0: In addition to Captain Hook, Smee, and the crocodile, this new attraction offered Indians, the Lost Boys, and pirates, all with varying degrees of animation and sound effects. Guests flying around the attraction were treated to action scenes from the film: Wendy reading to the boys in the nursery, Indians in their camp singing and beating their drums, and high in the ship's rigging a duel between
1: hook and peter pan i think it's kind of hilarious that you know action scenes from the film such as wendy reading to the boys (laughs) action-packed well you know i am a librarian that's a fair point so it totally is action-packed for you i totally always (laughs) action-packed So like the earlier Disneyland attraction, this Peter Pan ride uh, would end in the Skull Rock Rado with Smee and a rowboat, but in this case, Captain Hook was shown precariously positioned above the jaws of his hungry nemesis, the Crocodile. And the Florida attraction opened on October 1st, 1971. To this day, the ride's exterior remains nostalgic uh, fans of the original Peter Pan facade from Disneyland's past with the whole medieval theme going on. Uh, And the attraction differs in the shape of its ride building and has a different track configuration as a result. There were newer, slightly larger vehicles and an updated pipe rail track
0: system built by Aero Development. The load unload area features moving ramps, which bring people smoothly alongside their pirate ships. With more interior space available, the children's nursery, garden, and Neverland areas are larger, and scene components are done in a larger scale. The track path guides the flying ships through the scenes in much the same order, but this ride adds both the Lost Boys camp and the
1: Mermaid Lagoon to the details found on Neverland Island. Now, the most impressive feature of Florida's attraction is located just before the final Skull Rock grotto scene. Captain Hook's 48-foot pirate ship, complete with deck and mast and sails and rigging. Now passengers in their flying ships first come across the ship's bow to find Hook and Pan up on the mainsail, swords drawn and lock in this internal combat. Now below, the boys are lashed to the main mast and Wendy prepares to step from a wooden plank while a pack of pirates look on. Then, as the ride vehicles curved back across the stern of the ship where Peter, Wendy, Michael, and John pose on the bridge, ready to sail into the sky and back to London, you know, victorious over Captain Hook. Hmm. And by May of 1982, Disneyland's Fantasyland had begun its complete renovation
0: and was entering a new era. Tony Baxter, with a team that included Ken Anderson, was relocating attractions like the Teacups, the Carousel, and Dumbo to make room for expanded
1: versions of the dark rides. The front wall of Peter Pan's Flight uh, was brought forward, and the structure, like others in the new Fantasyland, were given a rich European old-world appearance. While Toad and Snow White moved their loading areas and partial murals indoors, the Peter Pan attraction still offered a colorful mural filled with Peter Pan animation images to pass uh, passing Fantasyland pedestrians. The new larger pirate ship ride
0: vehicles, now five foot by seven and a half foot, were brought uh, were brought to Disneyland's attraction. And although the track system was again upgraded, the pathway through the main portion of the main building was not changed. The turns, the climbs, and descents of the original ride were repeated as the miniature ships sailed again through the nursery, over
1: London, and onto Neverland. Now the ships climb over a fully realized uh, London rooftops before entering the nursery, and the new audio animatronic figures of Wendy and the children stare back at the guests flying through their bedroom. Which, if a random pirate ship is flying through your bedroom, yeah. I guess I would be staring back as well. That's kind of weird. <laughs> and while London looks m- much the same, a moon, with the shadow of Peter and his new friends, hang high in the sky, along with two bold stars now guide people towards Neverland. The additional space and
0: additional track created at the front of the structure was filled with scenes already proven at Walt Disney World, but new to Disneyland audiences. As passengers fly past Skull Rock, they see the decks and masts of the massive pirate galleon. In this version, hook and
1: pan cross blades while balancing on the ship's bowsprit with the crocodile waiting below. The track plan carries the flying ride vehicles across the bow, giving uh, a quick look at the Indian camp on a nearby cliff and then flies back across the stern where Peter Pan and his friends stand uh, triumphantly at the ship's wheel. And with a final view of Captain Hook trying to escape the crocodile and Smee in a nearby rowboat, the vehicles exit the dark ride by uh, rounding a corner to the mermaid lagoon and the lonely hangman's tree.
0: Nowadays, the Walt Disney World audience has a pretty incredible interactive queue that allows folks to uh, watch Tinkerbell fly around, interact with the bedroom of the Darlings, and even play with shadows while awaiting to get on the ride. And if the wait is going to be over an hour,
1: it might as well be fun. And even though the attraction is nearing 60 years of age, the ride still continues to delight even with its simple yet unique ride format. It really provides like a rich fantasy film come to life right before our eyes, and even provides us with a sensation of flying. And really, what more do we want than that? And it's kind of easy for, you know, for me to see why people flock to this ride and wait, you know, the hour, hour and a half, two <laughs> hours for it. I mean, it's just incredible. It is, and there are the, some of the scenes in the California one are
0: what excite me the most.
1: I mean, the first like time it. I saw Neverland in Disneyland yeah. with the stars sparkling all around it, it just completely blew me away. I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously Magic Kingdom is great too, but the, mm-hmm. this, you know, the real reveal in Disneyland—it's just incredible, incredible. Yeah. And and I won't I won't lament too much the loss of the Prince bathrooms. Uh yeah, I know you're upset about that at Walt Disney. Because we wouldn't
0: have a bathroom break segment without them. That's I all know. I'm saying.
1: Um, Just as a side note, (laughs) whenever you guys listen to this episode, you know they're currently refurbishing Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland for the 60th anniversary of Disneyland. So we may be getting new stuff very soon. George, we're going to have to check it out this summer when you're here. That's
0: true, we will. But we want to hear what you think about Peter Pan. The ride, either Coast, your choice. Tell us us which one you like better and why. Call us on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. It's 424-785-GOAT don't know what you know till we know
1: you, you. don't know there's one little fact we bet you did it one little fact we bet you didn't
0: know space mountain at the magic kingdom opened on january 15 1975 there were over 50,000 balloons released while a 2000 piece marching band played lucy arnaz and tommy toon were the first two non-Disney employees to ride Space Mountain. Now we know you
1: he's we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his ah. It's George's
0: book of the week. This week's book is The Star Wars, based on the original Rough Draft screenplay by George Lucas. And I had to say the Star Wars because apparently that's what it's called. That's what it's called. That's what Lucas called it. Um, This is a graphic novel it was published in 2014 and it's actually a compilation of 9 different comics that uh, retell or retold one of the first rough drafts that Lucas actually did you didn't for read them Star individually Wars. right you actually read, no, the, I read it as the, the whole travel the combination yeah okay yeah okay but it was it was uh it was zero actually there were 1 through 8 and then they added a special zero
1: issue later cuz dark horse does that a lot gotcha cuz um, i did read them one at a time so i'm curious to see how oh, it, it was it had to be painful Waiting. Uh, yeah, kinda. Like, like, like not watching Lost on Netflix. I feel like we may have differing opinions on
0: this one, but I'll let you okay. talk first. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, it was. It, it comes in at hundred and eighty-four pages, so it's, it's it's not bad size for a graphic novel. And you know, as we've covered before, I've been a Star Wars fan my whole life, and I've really been glad to see a rebirth, uh, especially with uh, Disney purchasing uh, Lucasfilm and getting most of the property rights and things like that. Um, you know, I thought this was a fun—see, you got me nervous now, wondering if you, like, really hated it or something, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I thought this was a fun read, it was, but, but really for Star Wars fans. You've got to have a real love for this for you to enjoy it. Um, it it's a good adaptation of some of the earliest ideas that Lucas had. Uh, it, it's, it, to me, it was almost like reading a bizarro Star Wars comic. Like, uh, I'd heard of this, I'd seen this, and now it's part of this book. Uh, You know, uh, some of the things were the same, some things were different, some characters are new, and some are a little bit different from the films. I just wanted to read the opening, part of the opening crawl from the book itself, which has got some great words in it. Until the recent Great Rebellion, the Jedi Bendu were the most feared warriors in the universe. For 100,000 years, generations of Jedi perfected their art as the personal bodyguards of the emperor they were the chief architects of the invincible imperial space force which expanded the empire across the galaxy from the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the great rift and they also talk about knights of the sith and part of the crawl so right there you can kind of tell that george lucas didn't quite have his final vision cemented as we found from the some prequel. might say i was just going to say the same yeah. thing <laughs> The prequels pretty much <laughs> prove that. <laughs> okay, so I really like seeing this story um, to see how it evolved over the intervening years uh, because a lot of what they used in this artwork was based on concept paintings that personally I've been seeing over the past 35, almost 40 years in fan magazines and on the interwebs and, and stuff that, like that. that book
1: that we reviewed a couple years back, The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, is that what it was called?
0: Yeah, it had a lot of Ralph McQuarrie's <laughs> concept art. Yeah, yeah which I grew up looking at it. I don't want to get too much into the story, but you meet a guy named Anakin with two ends, who's the son of Kane Starkiller, and they make their way to a planet in order to foil the Emperor's plot. And the Emperor actually has the galactic capital on Alderaan, which is all kind of weird. Uh, We run into Darth Vader, who just looks kind of normal, except he's got one glowing red eye. Um... They he discusses Vader discusses destroying the Jedi General Luke Skywalker who's really really old and looks a heck of a lot like George Lucas a lot like George Lucas I'm sure they did that on purpose yeah and he's he's got a Anakin is tasked with protecting Princess Leia who has two twin brothers younger brothers named Wendy and Biggs so you're seeing these names come by um there's a giant space fortress that shows up to attack the planet and fighters are scrambled and there's a battle but the fighters kind of leave and the space fortress doesn't blow up the planet right now and then you meet r2d2 and c3po on the on the space fortress they both talk uh, and they both say dialogue that c3po says in the film so it's kind of weird with that um uh, a bunch of other things happen. We meet uh, a guy named Prince Valorum, and not Prince then Valium we meet from Spaceballs, <laughs> yeah, not him. And then we meet a uh, Sith Knight, you know, because uh, Emperor Val, or Chancellor Valorum, was from the prequels. Uh, we meet the Sith Knight. There's a cantina. We meet Han Solo, who's green, and looks like sort of like a skinny Hulk or something like that, and uh, and we meet the Wookies. So it's kind of weird. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't as polished as *A New Hope*, which makes me wonder how he got that far. But you can see the influences that the screenplay would have over the first three films and the prequels. We're not going to call them films, and it's <laughs> sort of like there are all little snippets of all six films in the screenplay itself, um, with characters and events eventually get they get trimmed down. And it, it's just kind of odd. You know, I thought the the art was great. It's a strong mix of vehicles and droids and outfits from all three movies. A lot of concept from A New Hope. It feels like it's part of the Star Wars universe, but not quite. Really, a lot of insight. Like, like, but instead of saying, may the Force be with you," they say "May the Force of others be with you." It's like when I punch you. That's my Force <laughs> being with you. <laughs> it's great that that's your takeaway from that, that phrase. Was, that was that was what I took from it. Um, you know, if you're uh. really a deep Star Wars fan, I think you're gonna like it. Yeah. But, but so let's let's hear what what you have to say.
1: I mean, yeah, I read it, you know, month to month as it was coming out. And maybe I should have waited and just read it all at once to get it done in one fell swoop. But I found myself kind of being bored with the story, to be honest with you. I really thought yeah, it was, it was all over the place. It was long-winded, yes. Yeah, it was super long-winded. It didn't really feel... It felt very rambly. I mean, I, I knew it was from, like, the first draft of the script. So I knew it, yeah. it, it wasn't anything that it was going to be later on. But it, it just... Literally felt like it took forever for anything to happen, and <laughs> a lot you're of talking.
0: right. Yes, a lot, a lot of talking.
1: talking. It took place in the darkest timeline. Like everybody had a beard, <laughs> so I mean that kind of made sense. But it was all right? Question mark. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't really I think, like it that much.
0: Yeah, I think if you're a uh, you know you you have an interest in the early development of Star Wars, you'll you'll like it just to compare it to what it is. Yeah. I kept scratching my head, going, "This is strange. This isn't what I'm used to, and not even what I've Remember. Guys, we don't like change. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Unless we find quarters. Well, quarters I'm okay are great. With quarters. The pennies, eh. eh, quarters I'm okay with. So okay, so this week's book was a graphic novel, The Star Wars graphic novel from Dark Horse. Here's another minute that you can't get back in Star.
1: You know, guys, we get a lot of good Blu-rays to review. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We're pretty uh, grateful for that fact. But then every once in a while, we get one that comes in that we both kind of feel, meh. (laughs) So uh, today we're going to be talking about Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Movie. I mean, day. Bad movie. Day. Day. (laughs) I meant day.
0: Well, I mean, it's not
1: totally bad.
0: It's got Don Glover in it. How many times did you laugh, George? Um, I laughed a couple times at the very end of the film. During the credits? No, when there's a kangaroo. Okay. Because there were actually two parts that were funny and that was it. I laughed Um, once. (laughs) (laughs) It it was relief when the film was over. Yep, Um, essentially. (laughs) So, yeah, it's uh, it's based on a children's book, which uh, is pretty much beloved by... A lot of people. I like the book. Yeah, and the you know it's a, almost a standard or a staple in most classrooms by Judith Viorst. So, um, I was like, how are they going to make this into a movie? And they're, well, they they're still asking the that question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really don't enjoy movies or television shows where you see the characters get into trouble, and you know they could have simply stopped it from happening. You know, uh, this isn't quite as bad. But, you know, the, the poor Alexander has some misfortunes and then wishes that his family would experience it. And, of course, it's during when the father has a job interview, the mother's got an important thing. The other daughter's got to try out. The oldest son's got the uh, annoying girl to take to the prom, the girl from that. I can't stand her, the redhead from the Disney Channel. (laughs) She drives me crazy. Uh, Oh, she annoys me. Maybe we
1: are not the target audience for this film overall. Probably not. Now, what's funny is, yes, my
0: 11-year-old, who I have not been able to talk to, sort of came at the beginning, and he did sit and watch the whole thing. He did laugh, but he did sit and watch it. Okay, my 12-year-old
1: watched it, and he did not like it.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he liked it, but... You know, he did watch it, he's not asked for it, although our review copy of Big Hero Six he's watched six times. So that should say something, everyone. Yes. Yeah. So um uh it's got Steve Carell in it. He's funny. Sometimes. And Jennifer Garner played a superhero in a movie once. This review is really um, going off the rails. Electra, um, yeah, we probably should stop it. Um there are some extras and I kind of felt Really bad when I found out the uh, the Lee character was actually Australian. He does a better English accent or American accent than I do.
1: Oh really? Um, (laughs) I must have skipped that feature. Yeah, and and there was was that the the, Alexander in real life one.
0: Yeah, I totally skipped that. I'm sorry.
1: And then I did like the song
0: "Hurricane" by the Vamps by the Hurricane. But I'm a big, huge power pop fan, so I thought that was
1: really good. But so yeah, so what I'm saying, I guess to me is. if you have um, a red box near you and you really want to see the movie, pay yes, the dollar twenty-five or whatever it costs now for Redbox red it. box yeah. to rent it. Then you can rent it. And then, but, but buy at least six
0: copies of Big Hero 6. Yeah, totally, without a doubt. Cause, yeah, because that, that movie, obviously our review is going to be, it's awesome. So Okay, so that was uh, our review of Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged like
1: If you're in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, head over to Sir Mickey's in Fantasyland for a nice little nod to the Sword in the Stone. Now if you're looking at the shop window outside, there is an interactive set piece that is used for that Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom game. In this piece, it's none other than Archimedes the Owl, uh, his birdhouse. Now, Archimedes is Merlin's loyal companion from the film, and it's nice to see his home fit right into Fantasyland. Now, if they can only figure out how to get around that glass to get into it, because we all know how birds do when they fly into glass at high speeds, so somebody mm-hmm. might want to, you know, get on that and fix that. Oh, yeah, well, maybe maybe the birds won't fly by because all the people waving cards around. That's a fair point. They are waving oh. them in the air, and they're waving like they just don't care. <laughs> But they do care because they're trying to win. Yes, they're trying to win. So, <laughs> and speaking of winning, this week's winner for the year of a million or so limited time cadets. Are you ready for this, everyone? Uh, this week's prize is sponsored by Fairy Godmother Travel. Uh, now, Teresa Corey over at Fairy Godmother Travel it was nice enough to sponsor a Olani-themed prize for this month. Ooh. and. The winner of this week will get a Olani lithograph and a can of dull pineapples because everybody knows that pineapples come from Hawaii. And this week's winner is Michael Klopp from Cheektowaga, New York. I said your town name wrong. I don't care. It's spelled really weird. But congratulations, Michael. You're going to get a cool lithograph and some pineapples. You better make something good with them pineapples.
0: Yeah, and be sure to, you know, when you get the prize, send us a photo of you maybe eating the pineapples or making a great dessert from the pineapples or lovingly staring at your lithograph.
1: That either all of those are valid, or perhaps all of them. Just do oh. all, of them. all of them. And and how can people enter our contest? Well, well it's George, not really a contest. It's not really, well, kind of, sort oh. of, maybe. Okay, but okay. If it, I mean, we're giving out all these prizes. If you want to get in on the action, send us your name, your birthday, and your mailing address to communicorweekly at gmail.com, and we will put you on the list for the year of a million or so, limited time cadets.
0: Yes, because we've had such fantastic response. We're so excited. Yes. And we're actually trying to contact more people to give out more prizes. Heck yes. So if you're actually interested in giving out prizes, hey, give us a Hey, shoot call. us an email too. Send us an email, yeah. We'd love to give out your prizes for you. Sure. Like- Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, it works. Well, I I think we've let this drone on long enough. So uh, (laughs) thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly.
1: Wherever you watch or listen to the show, please leave us a comment, whether it's on iTunes or YouTube or Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. Give us a comment or rating. We'd love to hear from you. And feel free to email us at
0: communicoreweekly at gmail.com, either to enter the year of million or so limited time cadets
1: or to tell us about some prizes. Well, just, just say hey. I mean, that's cool, oh, that's too. That's true. Yeah, that's just true. say hey. That's true. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Weekly. Yep. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And, of course, leave us a message on the Communicore Weekly goat line at 424-785-4628.
0: Visit CommunicoreWeekly.com and visit the Communa store where you can buy some awesome T-shirts and pick up a copy of Communicore Weekly,
1: the musical. And don't forget to get your own official cadet membership card and Communicore Weekly stickers. Send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856 and uh, visit patreon.com slash weekly and help support the greatest online show uh, just uh, a one little oh. thing because we added something Communicore weekly orchestra said that uh, for people who sponsor I think it said $15 a month yes. for 3 months they will write you a custom theme song that's a pretty sweet deal I thought I just yes, wanted to is. throw that out there in case you guys haven't been to the Patreon page in a while Yeah, which I'm excited I'm going to get my
0: custom theme song finally. Oh, you no, already I do have one. a
1: custom theme song that's right
0: I do <laughs> okay anyway Uh, For
1: Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for that jerk George Taylor, I'm (laughs) Jeff Heimbuck. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening and watching, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.